Welcome, everyone, to the Cup of Nurses podcast with your hosts, Peter Fendero and myself, Matt Slarchik. This is a podcast where we tackle current health news and hot nursing topics, one conversation at a time. Thank you guys for listening, tuning with us. Thank you for chilling with us here. We really appreciate it. If you guys find any value in this podcast episode, please share it with a close family member just so they can maybe learn something. Share with whoever, give us a like and a five star. We really appreciate that. And that only ranks us in the algorithm, so we keep on producing this high quality content. Updates, what's happening? Geez, we didn't record an episode yesterday, last week for the Cup of News. We've been super busy. We've been vlogging. We went camping to Joshua Tree. We've been trying to get the website done, which is basically in completion. Our Cup of Nurses store is actually out. So if you go on cupofnurses.shop, you can purchase some of these awesome shirts we have on and also the NCLEX guide. We're next working on the Patreon. We're finally going to have guests on again. It's just been, it's been a transition travel nursing. And of course we work full time. So it's, it's a lot of work, but anyways, let's introduce the episode and PD. Thrill. And this amazing episode, cup of news, number 24, 24 deep. That's Kobe's number, I believe. RIP Kobe. <laughs> but on this episode, we are going to be talking about caffeine. We're going to share a little bit of some research with you guys. We're going to talk about the benefits of positivity and positive thinking and the outlook on life and longevity. And they're also going to talk about something called organ on chip. That's an emerging technology that's supposed to help with research and studying medications and how they interact and work with our human cells. I was mind blown with the um, the organ on chip, how that works. That was wild, dude. We should probably just talk about that first because that was pretty good. I almost want to talk about it right now, but let's. you want to stay on topic and do some COVID a little bit? Oh, I forgot about COVID. C19. Yeah. Let's call it C19 as always. Still around here, huh? Still around. And I, it's like after election, it's just like back to it, man. Back on the roll, man. And cases are increasing, numbers are increasing, and it's just there's nothing positive on the news about it. It's almost frustrating to watch the news, boys and girls. Yeah, and on the news, they're 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 bashing like people that don't wear masks and all that. But everywhere you go, you go to a store, you're in a hospital, you're out in public, everyone's wearing masks. So I'm not sure why people or the news, these corporations are saying that, hey, people aren't wearing masks, so that's what's increasing their spread. Everywhere you go, people are wearing masks, right? Agreed. Have you, in the past, you know, two months of being here or a month of being here, however long we were here, have you went to a place that people weren't wearing, were not wearing masks in? Negative. Exactly. So, like, this whole idea of masks stopping the spread probably isn't as valid as most people think. I'm sure it helps a little bit, which, which I mean, is, is great. I mean, it makes sense. Like, I'm not, a, I mean, we're both pretty good into conspiracies, but we're also logical thinkers. So, right. you know, before we dive deep and down like a rabbit hole, we're able to catch ourselves for the most part. But there probably is some benefit with with masks in large groups, th- things like that, places like that. But in like general social distancing areas, like right now, me and you, we probably don't need to wear a mask to, to, be, to be with each other. And we work in hospitals with COVID patients, you know? Yeah, like my like, if I were to put this in a sentence of what's happening, one, it's very political. And what's happening is there has to be some influence from these pharmaceutical industries, right? And they're just pushing this vaccine. This is the only way to solve the pandemic. Is and what, what's that company? BioNTech, the German one, which um, teamed up with uh, P. Pfizer or whatever. Pfizer, yeah. Yeah, the one opened up the uh, or has a ninety percent effective so far rate. Um, they're just th- that scientist that created is saying this is the key to stopping the pandemic. And of course, because there's money, which is the mm-hmm. motive. Just like anything that we've seen in the past, you know, the, the whole cigarette things back in the day. We talked about it. I forgot what podcast episode, but at first, cigarettes were promoted on TV. Doctors used to smoke them. Like, it's like, we just, 
this just happened like 50 years ago. So what's happening now? We're just kind of being manipulated in a way and thinking that the vaccine is the be all end all for this. Just because they have a nice three letter abbreviation or two letter abbreviation behind their name doesn't mean that everything that comes out of their mouth or every research that they do is going to be you know, the truth. Like I said, cigarettes is a perfect example. Cigarettes are still around. And look at that. Patients were smoking with their doctors. This was a casual thing. Oh, no big deal. People actually recommended this. Same with like, there used to be cocaine in Coca-Cola and people used to use Coca-Cola as medicine. Like that was supposed to be healthy back then. It was supposed to be beneficial. But look how things progress and we realized that, hey, that was not the best idea. So that's why this like polarized opinions where it's like one side or the other, it's completely like bullshit. Yeah. Because if there is no conclusive science that's saying one side over the other, then there really is no right or wrong answer. It's not like gravity where people are anti-gravity and for gravity. Like we know gravity exists. It's, it's proven. You throw an apple up, it goes down, right? Yeah, but Peter, and this is the problem in news is they create the polarity mm-hmm. and they create, create truth on both sides. And we have this freaking polarity and people are attacking each other and talking shit. You know, this guy, that guy, left, right. And it's, it's messed up. They and, have to. And what happens is our Facebook algorithms feed us information that we like more. So they're going to keep feeding you your truth and creating your reality. And then you have these fucking, sorry for swearing, polar opposites. Yeah. And, it's, it, and that's what we're seeing. Even in the nurse's station, we're talking about stuff and they're bashing, you know, Trump or they're talking about politics. I'm just like, whoa, man, people are polarized. Yeah, two things I want to touch upon real quick. Like, if you guys are already curious on how social media works and everything, most people think that when you scroll up your or when you like when you're on Facebook or Instagram and you scroll down to refresh your page, it doesn't actually give you the newest stuff first, right? It gives you the most relevant stuff for you. So whatever the bot picks up, it's gonna feed you whatever you're gonna to want to see because they want you to keep they want to keep you on the platform. It's not the newest stuff. You would think it would be the newest stuff, but it's not. Like for example, me and Matt did this little experiment. I gave him my phone. He gave me his, his, his phone. We have similar friends. We have similar, similar likes. But when we pulled down the social media tab, Instagram, where we did Facebook for this example, we had completely different news feeds. Yep. Right? But we have very similar interests. We have very similar friends. But yet what I saw up top, what you saw is completely different. Right. Same like, with the ads. Yes, it is. Another thing I want to touch upon that's really interesting to look at is we're at a time where there's probably the most peace in the world and in the United States in general. So if you want people to be happy, um, if you or if you want someone to have a response or you want to elicit someone's response, you don't want to have full unity. You want to have unity on like one side, like let's say the Cold War. The United States felt unified with each other against Russia. It was us against, you know, the Soviet Union right. back then. And then what happened was things started slowing down. So they started introducing like um, propaganda where it's like report your neighbor if they're suspicious. So that was like a different divide. In the World War, World War One, World War Two, United States was unified. Every, every country was unified because they were fighting something. It was an opposite view. It was the United States view versus the German view. It was the ally view versus the Axis view. And right now in this time, there there is not really that much wars going on. We have the war in the Middle East, it's still going on, but it's not as talked about anymore as compared to like when Bush was, was still in, in the administration, right? Back back then, 9-11 happened, it was us against the Middle East. Us versus, the, versus uh, weapons of mass destruction, which obviously were was a false claim. Now there's nothing really going on for news to report or us to kind of go against. So what, what's happening 
we're having this war here. Like, Joe, well, like not Joe Rogan, parties. but like, yeah, like I actually used to say it's a war for your mind. So, you know, with the military industrial complex, like you mentioned multiple times, they got to make money and news has got to make money. We got to have people on social media, we have people, people interested. So we have to polarize everything. Yes. Because it has to be teams. Because as humans, we want to belong on, on some kind of a side, right? Yes, it is. We want to have a side, you know, we'll want we'll ally side, Axis side. There's always a good side, a bad side, you know, and that's exactly what's going on here, but directly on our grounds. Yeah, you hit the nail on the hammer, bro, yeah. or on the head, I should say. And me and Peter love to talk about this. So what we're working on is the whole Patreon, right? Just to kind of like pitch in here a little bit, which is going to be done. And we're going to talk, dive into topics like this. We're going to dive into bloopers, vlog clips, just a whole bunch of things, including like our ride-alongs coming back home from work. And we're just going to chat about what happened, how our shift was, and the nitty-gritty that maybe we can't talk about so much on the podcast. Yeah, it's a lot of, there's a lot of shit that goes down in the hospital that we don't, I mean... This mic cannot hear it for now. I mean, it, it, could, it could hear it, but it's like a liability on our end. Yes. So we prefer to do like like a Patreon style that, you know... Um, we we, we can track who's listening because right. they're paying for the subscription. Yeah, we have more control. And obviously, we can make you sign agreements that, hey, whatever we say here is not supposed to be disclosed. Things like that compared to where this is just like open mic. You can watch it anywhere. Yeah. And, and if you're listening, that's going to be our next podcast episode. We're going to talk about professionalism and how, like, you know, your social life can affect work and how to remain professional so that's our dilemma too where we want to say so much and sometimes we can't so we're gonna you know counter that and create a patreon for that anyway so quick little wrap-up of covid what's happening is in the united states we have 11.3 million cases with 251,000 deaths and this is not reported but and it's never talked about there's recovered patients and there's patients that don't go to the er and are fine and almost barely have any symptoms 6.9 million people recovered and that's more than half and in, in the news it's all about cases 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 and death so be wary that there's people recovering and they're living happily ever after <laughs> just like my grandparents and you without know. a vaccine yeah my grandpa's fine and he didn't take any kind of medication yeah. all he did was take tylenol and now you ha- and now that person has antibodies and it spreads to the fam Herd immunity, ladies and gentlemen. Mm-hmm. When it comes to states, Texas is number one with um, the first state of being over a million cases, a million and 93,000. And if you travel nursing, check out Texas because their rates are amazing right now. Busy. People are making money. People are making like 5K a week there. California, number two, passed a million as well, got a million and 33,000. Florida, number three, with 885,000. New York and Illinois, fourth and fifth. Oh, good old Illinois, dude. Yeah, have it, don't miss it, man. For like Illinois being in the Midwest, there's like, there's no beach there. There's no like anything crazy to do. There's nice city city life, but like living in Illinois, I don't. Maybe it could, maybe it's because we've been here been in Illinois for so long. I feel like other states are more attractive to live in than Illinois. They are, and in, in general, I think Illinois is not like that. If you like the city life and all that, good for you, and you could enjoy your food and bars and all that. But like, I just love the nature, man, and it. You cannot go on a hike in mountains within two hours or go snowboarding whenever you want to during the season. Yeah. Or I'm sorry, because there, there are seasons that it's close. But yeah, it's just that accessibility to nature here is amazing. Like California's awesome. You could literally, if you wanted to, you go scuba diving, surfing, and snowboarding in the same damn day and go camping at night. Yeah, that'd be some shit to do all for. That'd be mission. Vlog coming soon. <laughs> I don't think we could pull all that off. But anyway, so the first topic of business here is the positive effects are associated with memory decline. So this is a longitudinal study that was concluded over the past nine years, and 
it was from 1995 to 1996, 2004 to 2006, and 2013 to 2014. So they basically analyzed 991 middle-aged adults, and they basically conducted surveys. That's how longitudinal studies are usually done. And they usually assess them every 30 days, and they kind of asked about their emotions, their experiences, a range of questions that were reported. And the final two assessments, they were able to ask a memory function tests, which um, were kind of recalling words immediately after the presentation and then 15 minutes afterwards. Results are interesting. Um, they were able to control age, gender, education, depression, negative effects, and extroversion a lot better if they had positive effects, which in return helped with preventing cognitive decline in adults. And what extravation is, which is interesting, is um, the state of ob obtaining gratitude from outside oneself. And that's like where like Maslow's hierarchy kind of comes into that. Like once you have these basic needs as a functioning human, you're able to look past yourself and you're able to be a positive impact in society, whether that's, you know, your job, whether that's a hobby that you do. Like we podcast, right? We have gratification from podcasting and having people listen to this information mm -hmm. and in return to those things and control the effects. Yeah, positive decline, or I'm sorry, positive effects help with uh, memory and improving decline to preventing like neurodegenerative diseases in the future. And if you're more positive, like you're more inclined to do things, like your brain's like a, like treat it as, as a muscle. The, like that's why like these brain games are shown to work because you, you keep testing your brain, you keep working on, on these things and your brain keeps adapting and getting better and more efficient. And you know, the most efficient brain, they're gonna decline at a slower rate than you know a typical brain, right? Because you're you're outside a bell curve. So it's gonna take longer for you to kind of lose that efficiency. So that completely makes sense. If you're more positive, you have a better outlook on life, you're more prone to doing things, more prone to being more active, you're probably circulation's better, you're less prone to like um, ischemia in the brain, yeah. less, prone, less prone to kind of all these degenerative diseases. Of course, there's is also that genetic impact that comes with everything. And there's some people are just have or just draw a bad card out, out of the deck. And that, that happens. But for the most part, if you're positive, like I completely agree with that. Because think of all those depressed people, people with depression that are kind of sad and angry all the time, they don't really control their emotions. Their life expectancy is going to be lower than somebody that's you know more positive, more outlook on life. And yeah, and, more, and uh, more even a positive person, you can mm -hmm. tell they're glowing, like they're radiating. You know, I'm, I'm always talking about energy, but you could literally feel that person radiate onto you. Yeah, and just like a person is negative, it's like it's like we have like spidey senses. You're able to tell if somebody's in a shitty mood, and you know you just gotta you know leave them alone and let them handle business sometimes on their own. If you have a poor will to live. Your body's gonna sense that, like there, there's cells. There's like vibrations. There's different, like hurt. What is it called? Hertz. Those millivolts, like, maybe. I don't know. Some kind of um, relating to energy. That, but there's like there's some kind of a wavelength that we function on, right? Oh, and like the frequencies. You're, what you're yeah, to. frequencies. And then if you're given out like these negative frequencies, like yeah, like we still don't fully understand them and how they really affect us and stuff. But if each cell has like their own wavelength, and you're like in a lower wave wavelength or like a poor wavelength your cells are going to adapt to that and your mind is going to basically control your body in that sense. Yeah. If you always tell yourself, I can't do this, I can't do that, you're never going to do anything, right? Or if you tell yourself, I'm bad at this, I'm bad at that, you're always going to be bad at that. There's a quote that says, if you think you can do it, you can. And if you think you can't, you won't. Mm. So either or works, it's just, what are you putting your mind to? Yeah. And that's the effect that's going to be produced on that. Mm. And I also like, because we went camping to Joshua Tree, nature so beneficial and like, detoxing for the mind and I feel refreshed and more focused 
But they also talked about nature transmits a frequency. I believe it's I don't I don't know how many um what's the millivolts seven point some seven point six let's just say for the for the fact that the Seems podcast somewhere close to seven, and our alpha brave brain wavelength is actually on the same frequency. So nature is actually grounding because it's on the and it's on the same vibrational frequency, and that releases specific chemicals and um. And mechanics, just like if you were to put a meditation on with a frequency like the healing one, I really believe that that shit works. I'm sure it's not like studied scientifically, but I believe it has a positive impact impact on my health. And like nature in general, like camping, like think how much brain power you use just looking at this phone. Like this takes up a lot of brain power to look at, to scroll through, to use. And just the fact that in nature and camping, you have no service, so you're not looking at this. So why people feel like refreshed or more relaxed when they get home from camping or like a trip like that is because their brain finally got a chance to relax. It literally finally got a chance to relax. And a part of your brain that you're using during like outdoor activities and camping, adventuring, things like that is different than a part of the brain using to look at your phone. Yeah. Because you're not I, really focused on the, on the screen and scrolling and reading. You're more focused on uh, more physical activity. You're walking. You got to concentrate differently. You gotta maintain your balance. You gotta look at you know your 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 feet, your left foot, your right foot, the ground because you might trip compared to walking mindlessly looking at your phone. You're losing yeah. complete different part of your brain. So you're given one part a break that's highly stimulated at all times. You're given that part a break, and then you're also training a different part of your brain. No, it's mind blowing how it works. And I feel like scrolling and doing all this it does exhaust you a lot more. Not mm-hmm. only that, but it puts you into the state of comparison, right? Like on social media, you're always comparing like, damn, that person is here, but I'm doing this. Or vice versa, and you're always kind of putting yourself down, dude. And you don't even think about that, but like you're like on this feed negative feedback loop because of social media. For some reason, we're always drawn to negative behavior. So even though we get off it, we somehow need that fix again. We go back to it, and it's like we're we're almost abusing ourselves mentally without even realizing it. I think it's probably like a genetic thing, um, because whether, could, whether could, humans are drawn to negativity, I feel like that's like was in the beginning was a evolutionary benefit for us. Um, in the sense of that as humans, we see the flaws in ourselves and we try to improve on them. So like, for example, let's say you can, let's say somebody digs a ditch for berries better than you, you okay, know, cool. or, or whatever. Then you're like, damn, he's digging a better ditch. He's going to get more food. So you are programmed to look at somebody that does something better than you. So you can adapt to do that same thing because then your survival is going to be highest. Because if you can learn how to dig that same hole more efficiently, same as the other person, you're going to survive longer, right? Yeah. But now we have such easy access to this negativity through our phones that that evolutionary benefit is kind of um, a deterrent now, right? Because instead of comparing somebody that's, say, that's, you know, lifting, we're both gym goers, so I'll just compare it to, to lifting, compare it to somebody that, that lifts out a lot of weight, um, and you want to kind of lift that weight too. But I people get discouraged because they scroll through news feeds and they like a bunch of weightlifters or bodybuilders and there's like constant news feed of people that are jacked, lifting weights, jacked, lifting weights. And you're just like, damn, I'm not jacked and lifting weights. And it puts you down because all you see is that on your news feed because you control your likes, right? They don't show you random things. They do have sponsored um, like Posts, pages that they yeah. give you, but you're going to 
if you like bodylifting, bodylifting, weightlifting, you most of your likes are gonna be those kind of people, right? And it's all you're gonna see. And you're always gonna, gonna compare yourself. You're not gonna compare yourself to somebody that's smaller than you or you know or, or anything like that because they're smaller than you. It's not on your newsfeed. Yeah, but you know, right? you know what's mind blowing is that we're worried about like let's just say muscles as a man. Like imagine women. Imagine women's psyche and how much it's affected when they're there's always photos of women looking pretty, photos, filters, you got I don't know, cranking up saturations and yeah. photo editing. Like, imagine their psyche. Imagine what they have to fight for. The fight for beauty because that's that's very important for them. You know, yeah. like imagine how much that you know f's with them. Oh, for sure, a lot more than us, dude. Like, yeah. I mean, I don't really care too much on how like guys look, but like, yeah, because we're different. Because yeah, for us, like our looks, we care about the way we look. We want to look presentable. We want to look good. But women take it to a whole different level, you know? Like, we don't even wear makeup. We don't, you know, overly do our hair. We just throw on some nice clothes, look in the mirror. I look fresh. All right, let's go. You know, like, well, I got long hair, bro, so I got to, you know, comb it and stuff. Well, yeah, I got to comb my hair, too, sometimes. <laughs> I'm but it's, but it's, our, our routine is nothing close to, like, a woman's routine. Hell, yeah. You know? and sometimes they got to take it in the car and be doing eyelash and whatever they do. Right. I can't even describe words of what makeup goes in. Mm-hmm. And then imagine the girls with this feet. It's all pretty girls and, and, and doing things. It messes with them, especially because... Um, I feel like a lot of, maybe I could be wrong, maybe someone could, could correct me, but I feel like a lot of girls and like women look at other women and they acknowledge the features that they have that they themselves cannot change. As compared to men, we look at features that, that we can change. Yes. Right? Like a, like a girl would look at a girl's face and be like, oh, I wish I had like cheeks like you or, or nose like you. That's why they get past surgery. They want to have better lips because people have better lips. Like as, as a dude, we don't, I don't really care that like a guy has like a like a cool jawline or whatever. I don't know what what's the exact term of it is. Like you know the jawline, what, what they jawline. call defined jawline. Like like that. Like I don't look at that when I look at a dude. Um, but like if someone's like looking swollen, it's like damn dude. Maybe like like what what are you using for like your your, your chest? Are you you hitting it like like this way? You're doing decline incline. Like what are you doing? Like see, because I want to learn how to. I focus on things that I could change that, that, that I know I could change. Like muscle growth, you could build muscle, but I can't change the, like my face. You yeah, know, you're positively taking that comparison and doing something about it, correct? Yeah. So you're that's that's a positive reaction to that. But like, but the things I focus on is the things that I could change. Like correct. why why should I worry about like like my ears stick out? Like like they stick out. Like what the fuck is supposed to do? Like not, not have them stick out. Like I don't yeah. really focus too much on that. It's self acceptance. Other things, you know. Yeah, self acceptance. Yeah. And a lot of people didn't do that, so instead we change and compensate because. The ego is feeding off that. And that's the problem with the ego is once you get that done, there's going to be something else missing. There's going to be something else. And that's just the society that we live in and we're programmed to take on consumerism. I feel like we got off topic here. The last thing I wanted to touch about with this whole positivity impact is that it's interesting that older adults are actually more emotionally gratifying. So their memory actually improves as they get older because they tend to be more positive and they, they tend to focus greater on this emotion regulation mm-hmm. and they take less negativity. And one a funny example is that they are less embarrassed about shit. You know, older people don't care about anything. Yeah. Like like my grandpa is just going to like fart anywhere in public, do it anywhere I went, went with him. Like dude does not give a shit about yeah. it. It's You know what I mean? So they tend to care less than the whole comparison thing and that helps with the memory, preserving the memory. Yeah, but look at your patience, dude. Like... It, Ass is sticking out all the time. Yeah, they don't care, dude. Grandmas wear the gowns. They don't care that you do the perineal care. You know, guys don't care that you're wiping their balls or in the hospital. It's just like, just do your thing. Like, compared to somebody that's like, you know, in their 40s, 30s, they're, they're more kind of self-conscious about it. You know, yeah. they, they do things that are more independent because we, 
they feel exposed. They, like it's a hospital. Like when I was in a hospital, I felt the same way. Like I'm just, I, mean, I was just like, yeah, I could just, like, do it myself. Like everything that I could do myself, I wanted to do myself. Not yeah. only because like to feel to feel better, but like and to kind of progress. But it's just like uh, humility for the most part. I mean, my, my my balls were swollen, and I did have a nurse put a fucking towel under my balls to you know decrease the, the edema. But it was it was like whatever. Like it like that's the shit. I, I can't imagine being younger and like I just like shit my pants and I got like roll in bed twice and nurses wipe your mask in the back. That's gonna yeah, it's, that'd be a little bit on the psyche. But I'm glad I'm not in the hospital. Yeah, I was surprised I didn't like shit the bed or anything after my ball surgery. I, I was, like when I look back, I'm pretty surprised because like a lot of patients shit, like a lot of our patients shit the chuck. Like, yeah. like a lot, dude. Let me, whoever's not a nurse, let me tell you, man. We nurses, we wipe a lot of butt. Mm-hmm. We clean a lot of poop. But for the most part, I feel like my pad was always clean, dude. Like, it was never never an issue. I'm glad you didn't like, nice clean chuck, bro. Yeah, like, I would always change my sheets and stuff myself, but, yeah. Let, let's jump into caffeine, yeah. man. So caffeine, guys. So some information about caffeine, what's really interesting is that 80% of the world drinks some kind of caffeine. And actually so 90% we- of the United States consume some kind of of caffeine. Isn't that crazy? We, we run on it. Just like the Duncan slogan, right? America yeah. runs on Duncan. Yeah, drive by a Starbucks, dude. It's packed. It, it was packed before the whole epidemic, pandemic, but now it's still packed. The drive through is ridiculous, man. If, if, it's even worse than, than before. I mean, it's, people, yeah, because people got to go drive. They can't go inside. They could go inside, but people are scared. Yeah, I mean, it really is addicting. And sometimes I'll have a cup. Because it's like a routine. Like I just, I genuinely enjoy it. I don't know if that's good or bad. I mean, I would love to quit caffeine. It would that'd be pretty cool to incorporate. Like imagine if we have like a um, one month vlog, like, you know, clips of just us quitting caffeine and the side effects of it. I like to do that. I know, man. I could, there, be, there would be some withdrawals for sure. Oh, there for sure be some, some withdrawals. Um, but I definitely don't consume as much caffeine as I, as I used to. Believe it or not, because back in Chicago, I used to be all on that. I used to not mention pre-workout, which had like 30, 333 milligrams of caffeine in general by itself. I would probably have some kind of a caffeine on my way to work. And I would have caffeine, like a energy drink mid-shift, maybe like around 2 o'clock, 3 o'clock. And then I would go to the gym and have a super pre-workout. Jeez, man. Yeah, that was mm-hmm. wired all the time, dude. But I was always wired at work. Like, I probably feel more, more tired here than I did um, at my prior hospital. And you're working less, technically. Yeah. Like you're less mentally exhausted yeah. coming from work. Because I was always wired there, and there's always something to do. But then that's also, it's just like, I probably feel more tired now because I probably don't socialize as much as I did my prior job. You know, because there's always stuff going on in a prior job. Because, you know, if you, you work at a place for... around. Yeah, if you work at a place for three years, you, you, get, you get that bond, and you just kind of mess around, you know. Feel less, when you do feel tired, you get up, walk, talk to somebody. Hang yeah, on. here as like a travel nurse, you just kind of like, yeah, okay, I'll just stick out in my pod and go on my phone. And it's not, it doesn't give you that same energy. Mm. So what's cool about caffeine that I didn't know that I kind of want to touch upon with you guys. So there's, you know, there's molecule caffeine. And then there's also something called adenosine. So if you want to kind of understand caffeine, adenosine is like the exact opposite. And what caffeine does is in your brain, it, repl- it replaces the the site where adenosine binds to. So adenosine is actually pretty interesting because we, so I looked this up because I was like, adenosine, is that the same adenosine as we do to like, like push for like SVT or to get yeah, blood? to reset the heart. And it actually is the same adenosine, but there's different kinds of adenosine because there's three different kinds. I'm not gonna go over them because I didn't memorize them, but ATP, you know, ATP, 
what gives you energy and everything. That is the type of adenosine as well. Okay. Because adenosine was a triphosphate or something. Is that what ATP stands for? And then there's another adenosine and there's this adenosine. So, you know, there's many receptors in your, in your brain and each have different effects. So the ones we're interested in is specifically the A1 receptor. So, so adenosine actually locks in with the A1 receptor and it pro- promotes muscle relaxation and sleepiness. So what's interesting about adenosine is the lowest point of adenosine is in the morning and then it periodically increases as the day go, goes on. That's why we feel more tired as the day progresses, right? You don't Makes have sense. the same amount of, amount, of, amount of energy as you do throughout the whole day, right? You go to work and the, the more work you do, the more muscle contraction you do, the more physical labor you do, physical things, the more adenosine you have. So that's why you feel tired. And what caffeine does is this receptor that adenosine binds to, caffeine locks into it and it prevents adenosine to bind to it. So, so it does so basically prevents adenosine in your, in your body to do its thing. And that's a mechanism of action for caffeine, why it keeps mm-hmm. you so alert and focused because it prevents, just like you say, adenosine to binding to the sites that actually promote you to want to go to sleep. And, and then like, like, yeah, so caffeine does that. So as your dopamine decreases throughout, throughout your day and like your glutamate decreases throughout, throughout your day, that's all associated with adenosine. So there's the A1 receptor and there's the A2 receptor, which controls also the way your body releases and responds with dopamine and glutamate. So the more adenosine you have, the less dopamine and glutamate, glutamate you have in your body. And that's why as the day progresses, you feel more tired because of more of adenosine, which then suppresses your dopamine and your glutamate. Yeah, I wonder if there's any studies, and I personally don't know, like what happens when we have this long effect of consumption of caffeine and what happens to this adenosine? You know, I'm sure it's metabolized by the body, but what's the consequence? Well, it's a neurotransmitter, term? so it's not like a hormone where, you know, your body will stop producing it. Um, yeah. It's not going to have this... Because you know how people that do, like, steroids and things, they suppress their, their tea because they get it from an, an artificial format, so yeah. your body doesn't make it anymore because you're getting it from outside source. It, this is... It's probably not as extensive as it is to that. But there is because, you know, how there's, like, the SSRIs... That's why, so what you mentioned is actually good, good to mention because people hop off these antidepressant medication, antipsychotics, things like that, they have to taper down, correct? Yes. So it does technically su- su- suppress these neurotransmitters. So yeah, it's actually a good question. How does long-term effects of caffeine affect adenosine? Yeah, you know? there's some good, good thinking here. Because we don't- think is, so I was re- reading this and adenosine actually binds to this receptor and, and causes like a, a function with the, with the receptor. And what caffeine does is it binds, binds to it, but doesn't elicit a response from caffeine. The response is the fact that adenosine is able to bind to it. Oh, you get it? I see. Yes. So it's not actually binding, binding to it, like causing a reaction. It's just like a little, like a little, you know how you have like a, like a port, like a whole port, and you have put that cover on it so it just doesn't get in? That's what basically caffeine is. So it doesn't like lock into place. It just kind of hovers it, over it. It over it. So prevents the lock of exactly. the adenosine to the receptor. So the receptor. action actually isn't caffeine inhibiting the response. It's actually preventing adenosine to do its thing. So that's why you get yeah. these, these effects. Which this is, this cool. is heavy science for those yeah. that are like non-science listeners. Very interesting. And you guys obviously know, I was didn't want to go into all the details of how caffeine affects your body because you know you guys know how it affects your your cardiac system, respiratory system. I probably could have, but it's not the episode for this. So, But there's like three main... main um, actions that caffeine causes. One's going to be stimulation. So you're going to feel more awake, boost of energy, rise in blood pressure, rise in heart rate. It's going to feel more energized. A second one is it's diuretic. So it's going to make you pee. You're going to yep. lose sodium. You're going to lose water. That's why a lot of people get dehydrated off, off uh, 
off like coffee. If you drink a lot of coffee, you're going to notice that your urine is a little bit more more concentrated because not, you're peeing more. Not only that, but if you have a binger going out and drinking, you want to take some freaking Red Bull, you're freaking mixing alcohol, damn, man, like you're... That's why you're hungover. You're probably more hungover from the dehydration, which mm-hmm. like just like creeps up on you all damn day instead of the actual effects of alcohol. Exactly. And then like the third one is it increases your stomach acid, basically. It makes sure the pH of your stomach more acidic. So what I found out is that it has an effect on calcium. So it actually inhibits calcium absorption. So when people take their Tums, things like that, that's calcium in it, that's going to in- inhibit that from happening. So it's also responsible for, for GERD, like the any kind of, um, what is that pain that you have in your chest when you eat like a fatty meal? Not GERD, but the other? Acid it's, reflux. It's, yeah, which is GERD Basically, essentially. Yeah. Yeah. Well, yeah, GERD is kind of in stage, inter- later stages, but yeah, acid reflux, heartburn can all stem from, from caffeine because it increases the acid in your stomach yeah. and it's kind of burning your lining, especially if you're more prone to it hitting that sphincter. It's kind of what happens. Yeah, sometimes I wonder if on myself, like my eye twitches sometimes when I'm like tired, I wonder if it's from because I take I take my supplements regularly. Maybe it's just, hey man, I would have to monitor my caffeine intake to see when my eye twitches. I could actually put it on the Whoop Journal. No, I'm actually curious about now that you bring that up because I take my vitamins in the morning before I go to the gym, and in the gym I take a scoop of pre workout, which is caffeine. Damn. So I wonder if that's like deteriorating the effects of the vitamins I'm taking. You're gonna have osteoporosis at the age of mm-hmm. like 30, bro. I'm gonna need a medication um, that we talked about for rheumatoid arthritis. Yeah, Humera. Humera, dude. But yeah, so I wrote down here, guys, just for for you guys, if you're curious. Um, I believe the it's the daily recommended allowance of caffeine, where they say it's safe, is about 400 milligrams. And one cup of coffee has roughly 100 milligrams. One cup of tea has about 50. A 12 ounce can of Red Bull has 112. A six ounce can of Monster has 160 milligrams, and then. A full can of Bang has 300. I used to drink Bangs at work in nobody's business, dude. I used to drink Bangs at work at like 3 o'clock, 3, 4 in the morning, and then do a scoop of pre-workout at 8. Jeez, yeah, you were caffeinated, dude, I was going, bro. dude. But I was probably, I was, I was, before my accident, I was in good shape. And why? Because I was consuming high amounts of caffeine. My heart rate kept pumping. I'm burning calories on, on this caffeine because, you know, I'm in a fight or flight state, so I'm burning. And it had a thermogenic yeah, effect. basically. And then, you know, I'm working out every day, basically, after work. And then, like, after my, my accident, like, I obviously had to stop that for a little bit. But then when I picked it back up, like, I started getting back in shape again. And it's, like, it's legit. I don't know how healthy that was for me from, like, a cardiac and longevity standpoint. Probably not the best. But from, like, a muscular and endurance standpoint, I was... I was you know, I was I was down as fuck. Yeah, and maybe just looking at it now, you're kind of like, damn, I gotta get more in ship, I gotta lift more, and you're mm-hmm. just beating yourself up because you didn't have, you're not having the same amount of caffeine. You know? Yeah. It'd be, it'd be interesting. Cool. So some interesting studies that, that I found, guys, and these links are gonna be in our show notes if you guys want to check them out. Uh, one study actually investigated the w- within person relationship between caffeine intake and sleep duration at home. So it took 377 participants, age 35 to 85 for like a seven-day diary kind of study. It wasn't like a any kind of experiment, just kind of uh, self-reported. It's a survey. Yeah, so the self-reported results revealed a significant effect of sleep duration on the change tendency of caffeine use. A shorter sleep duration predicted a stronger tendency to consume caffeine, and this phenomenon was only found in middle-aged adults. So this, this was looking at the relationship of like who was more prone to taking caffeine. And it showed that 
if you wake up tired, you're more prone to taking caffeine. There's a relationship between that, which is pretty cool. But they only found that it correlated with people that are between the age of 35 and 55. Damn. People that were younger, 35, like our age, it didn't, didn't really show this effect. Uh, I'd be the anomaly on a study, man, because I'll have a cup of coffee anyway. Right? So it, it's pretty cool. It's pretty interesting that people that sleep shorter duration of time feel more tired and then reach for that coffee. So that, that's logical, you know. And, and that's what we do, too. Like, let's just say we're transitioning to the days from a night shift. Like, mm-hmm. we sleep four hours. I had a cup of coffee today. I kind of need it, and I do feel more focused and awake and alert. Mm-hmm. It's just part of the business. You know, caffeine does its job. Yeah. Another study that I found, guys, so this study actually measured the effects of caffeine on cognitive performance, mood, thirst um, in adults with low, low and moderate to high habitual caffeine intake. Now, this is pretty interesting because all dose of caffeine significantly affected cognitive performance and the dose-response relationship for these effects were rather flat. So it showed that when you drink caffeine, it does benefit you with cognitive performance. But another, so it's interesting because this study actually showed two different kind of um, results. Results. Let me make sure this is the right one because I got two two studies here. Yeah. So basically, in conclusion, after overnight caffeine abstinence, caffeine can significantly affect cognitive performance, mood, thirst at doses within, and even lower than at range of amounts of caffeine contained in a single serving of popular caffeine containing drinks. So this is so this study I liked because first of all, people, people people say that you know caffeine coffee benefit you cognitively and that's kind of something that we kind of take almost as fact. Yes, because you can, you can feel that that it makes you feel better that you you perform better. But do you actually per- perform better? This actually study that shows that that it did. And what's cool is it's a diuretic, so it's supposed to make you make you thirsty. You're putting out water, so actually. The effect of feeling thirsty goes away with the more caffeine you drink, which makes sense. You're you're used to the, the caffeine's effect, so you build, develop a tolerance. You don't you're not gonna feel as thirsty. So yeah, right. as a regular caffeine drinker, you don't have that effect as much as right. as someone that just took you know their first time. They're gonna feel that. Yeah, so that's, that's actually pretty cool. So what I was saying about the about the two results is actually my next study, which is actually really interesting as well. So the third and final one that I'm gonna go over is. So a group of 1,875 healthy adults stratified for age, sex, and general ability were screened for habitual intake of coffee and tea and took part in extensive kind of testing. So this is another one that looked at cognitive function and caffeine intake. I was interested in this one because some people are saying that people that drink caffeine regularly have a less chance of developing Alzheimer's disease. I've heard about that. Yeah. So the two res- results that they found, one was basically it showed that habitual caffeine consumption was significantly related to better long-term memory performance and faster locomotor speed. So people that drink coffee as a habit were shown to have better long-term memory performance and they're able to basically move more efficiently. Okay, but the other result that they showed was that there was no relationship found between habitual caffeine consumption and short-term memory, information processes, planning, and attention. So that means that even if you consume a cup of coffee, you're not going to get, like, let's just say you're operating at, like, 100% capacity, 
drinking a cup of coffee is not going to get you to do 120%. Mm. Like you're not going to be a Superman all of a sudden. You're going to be able to plan effective and do more work. Technically, the output is still the same from the brain based on this. I wonder, so it shows that it has an effect, a beneficial effect on long-term memory. And caffeine is basically battling with, with venesine. So that kind of makes sense on a longevity standpoint because if you're feeling, let's say, you have less adenosine, more caffeine. So you're, you could say that you're feeling more upper than, than down, which makes yeah. sense, right? So, and then we also saw that positivity increases longevity and long-term health, correct? So this actually makes sense on that standpoint too, because if caffeine makes you feel more positive, gives you a boost of energy, energy dopamine, yeah, promotes energy release and all that, and you feel better, and you block that then it's seen that tiredness, that that weak feeling, that sleepy feeling, then yeah, then that would promote yeah. uh, long-term benefits, right? I'm also gonna argue something that we didn't read about here is how you know, caffeine has a half-life, and usually if you consume caffeine too close to bed, it messes with specific REM cycles. Mm-hmm. So I wonder what are the effects of caffeine REM longevity-wise. We don't have that information today, but that'd be pretty cool to go over. Right, like, because there's going to be, like, a sacrifice. So, like, let's say... It's like a balance beam, bro, right? right. Just like everything. So they're, they're, they're going to tell you, just like any pharmaceutical company, it's like any research study, they're going to tell you, um, it's in this case, caffeine. So caffeine shows a benefit in long-term memory and prevents Alzheimer's. But what is the subject matter? What is the, the, the full story? Are they consuming caffeine once a day at eight o'clock in the morning and they get past the half-life because what if people say yeah i drink a cup of coffee a day and i'm supposed to because it can prevent alzheimer's but they're drinking it at let's say 7 p.m and it's a five-hour half-life and now they're losing REM sleep and now poor REM sleep poor poor sleeping patterns just poor sleep in general leads to kind of decline right yes so are you like there's gonna there's there's going to be ways for you to reap the benefits of, of caffeine, but you have to also check all the other bases. You know, you can't just say, oh, I drink a cup of coffee a day. I'm drinking at 7 o'clock, 8 o'clock. I'm going to be fine because research shows that it prevents Alzheimer's. Yeah, it's going to prevent Alzheimer's, but then you're going to be more prone to Alzheimer's because you're not getting a full REM cycle of sleep. You're not sleeping properly. You know, so it's yeah. going to be up to you to just decide. What are the risks? What are the risks? And if benefits. it benefits you, yeah. And those that are... Wondering the mechanisms, the half life basically means is how your body processes caffeine. So if you have fifty milligrams, technically speaking, in fifty hours, you're gonna have twenty five milligrams circulating in your bloodstream. So five you're still in five hours, and you just so you're still having that caffeine circulating even though you consumed it four hours ago, even though you don't feel or it five hours ago. Yeah, yeah, because you're gonna reach that peak. You're gonna reach that peak, and then the rest is gonna be downhill from there. So even though you might not feel wired, you might not feel energized. There's, there's still caffeine in your system and it's tapering down. Yep. You just don't feel it as much because your body was used to that giant caffeine rush five hours in, and after that five hours, it's, it's going down. So you, you're not going to feel the effects as much. And that's the coffee really, drinker that yeah. I am. I prefer just getting that dose right away instead of like sipping on it for four hours, mm. and then I'll, I guess I'll taper down. It, it depends for me. Like um, Usually, if I have a lot of stuff to do, I would just chug it. Like I'd say I'm, I'm at work. I would, well, because I usually put honey and like milk in my coffee. So I have to finish it before midnight. And I like, I usually do it, but let's say I get to work and I know I have to do a lot of shit, a lot of things, a lot of tasks to do right away. I just drink it real quick and I don't have to worry about it. But, yeah. if, but if I know it's going to be a little bit slower, 
I'll sip on it. That way, you know, it's like a like a pulse effect almost. Hell yeah. Let's go over the last topic. Then we're like 40 minutes deep into this podcast. So let's go about reviving the cells after a heart attack. And this is the humanon chip that we've been talking about, wanted to get into. Organon chip. Organon chip. And right here I have heart on a chip. So this specific study, they took the chip and put it into heart cells and they're seeing whether this mechanism of action, which is the extracellular vesicles that we're going to talk about, whether it's going to help relieve cells after cardiac attack. And during a heart attack, you you get deprived from oxygen. And what happens is you have to reperfuse. So the study was trying to see whether this chip will actually help prevent like ischemia and will help cells live longer and help the heart contractility because those that are not nurse, nurses after a heart attack, we really wor- worry about preserving the left ventricle, correct? And usually sometimes they have, normally you want to have 65% plus, right, ejection fraction. Sometimes mm-hmm. it dips on after a heart attack. Then sometimes after the reprovision, the ejection fraction will go up. So it just depends. This wanted to help preserve that in general prior to, you know, cath lab and all that. So what are extracellular vesicles? So to kind of Diet, um, break it down, you have a cell, but on the cell, think about you have like little transportation vehicles that like, it's like a car, it's like a network of cars that go in and out of the cell that transfer information, intracellular information, and this is how cells communicate and they also transfer maybe whatever else, proteins, correct? A lot of these vesicles, I believe the specific one that they're testing when the scientists broke it down, it had over 2,000 different proteins. So it's, it's very, very impressive. Mm. And they're thinking these EVs, these extra, uh, extracellular vesicles, are going to be the future for therapies for autoimmune diseases, neurodegenerative disease, cancer, to even like tissue injury. It's going to be amazing. Imagine if they could take the vesicles and, like you said, reperfuse the cardiac damage cells because they, yeah. they could carry oxygen and stuff like that. They carry nutrients, proteins. And imagine that. Imagine, like, you know, say, like with stroke, uh, brain time. Yes. The longer time is brain. Time is brain. The longer you are, the longer you are not able to reperfuse the brain or, or the heart. These these cells don't regrow. They they die. And if you could have some kind of mechanism that is able to reperfuse or just deliver emergent oxygen to these these these, these cells, you're gonna end up saving them. Yes. Right? Think about like like CRISPR. CRISPR CRISPR is interesting. And this is these vesicles are a new phenomenon. Like like when CRISPR was first discovered. We weren't sure how single cellular organisms were able to fight off infections, right? How to fight off invaders. And then we learned that, hey, there's something called CRISPR-Cas9, which, which is basically an autoimmune or it was basically an immune system within the cell's DNA that was actually able to take itself out and actually splice or, or dice or cut up the and invader's DNA. The bacteria does it, correct? The bacteria correct. uses well, CRISPR. The, the DNA, yeah, the DNA within the proteins and DNA within this single cell organism is able to actually, that's the immune system, just this, this DNA and these proteins. So it's a similar thing with a, with a vesicle. If you could deliver these key nutrients or or these key, key proteins into a cardiac cell that is unable to get oxygen or that's damaged in time, then you could eventually reperfuse that, that, that area and you are going to have less damage. Yes, that's like the big phenomenons, which is interesting. And um, these researchers from Harvard, they engineered this um, human on chip. Or is it organ on chip? I keep saying human. Like as if we're, I mean, eventually we might have human on chips. Elmer's glue, Elmer's glue, man. Yeah. Real mastered. 
I have a mess this week, man. So these researchers basically demonstrated the capacity that these cells, not only can they help revive cells after a heart attack, but they also could help these cells functioning while they're deprived of oxygen after a heart attack. Mm -hmm. And they basically take the this hard-on chip with an embedded sensor that continuously tracks the contraction of these tissues. I have no idea how they made this, man. This is like so freaking dope. And it basically mimics the same function and structures of the native cells and it allows, allows the researchers to observe the cells real time, collect information to see what its effects on an injury is. Before we talk about like the, um, the results of the study, we should probably kind of touch up on reperfusion injury mechanism. And this has, this has to do with um, a heart attack, correct? So what happens during a heart attack? Um, there's an absence of oxygen and nutrients from the blood to, this, to these cardiac cells which causes ischemia, aka tissue death, for a period of time, correct? After we balloon the patient or reperfuse the tissue so the heart is getting blood again, what happens is it results in inflammation and oxidative damage through basically it, there was a oxidative stress from not having oxygen. Also, you have white blood cells that go in there, cause systemic inflammation. They release free radicals because they're cleaning up tissue, and from this creates a mess, correct? And also, when your tissue doesn't have oxygen, it, it creates less nitric oxide, which, which creates this imbalance, which leads to this infl inflammatory response. Mm -hmm. So this is what happens. This is what they're trying to prevent. Big, big picture, they're trying to prevent the, the tissue damage post-reperfusion. Mm -hmm. So what are, the res uh, what are the research studies here that they found? So let's see. I got to pull this up. So they didn't – they used um, – EEVs for this, meaning they use endothelial extra extracellular vesicles. So endothelial cells are able to kind of, um, they have sensors for hypoxia. So they're, they're a little bit better than these regular vesicles that any kind of cell could release. So they use these specific vesicles and they basically induced injury for three hours. So no oxygen for three hours, followed by 90 minutes of reoxygenation. And then they dam they measured the, the fraction of dead cells and what is the contractility force of the tissue. Just like I say, we're trying to preserve tissue death and we're trying to preserve that left ventricle from having good contractility because that's how your blood is perfusing tissue. So the results, using this organ on chip phenomenon or organ on chip um, mechanism device, device um, half of half as many as, or I'm sorry, they had half as many of cell death and the contractility force was four times greater mm -hmm. compared to the untreated tissue of injury because they did a, you know, a double-blinded study. It was very significant, especially like the, if they could eliminate cell death by half, yeah. like that's a lot. Dude, imagine if um, you're able to do that with strokes, man. And four times contractility. Yeah. Well, for your brain, you want to do contractility, but for the heart, it's very, yeah. very amazing. But if you could prevent 50% of the cells dying during a stroke like that's basically movement function that's that yes. could change one's life completely but if you guys aren't sure what exactly we're talking about with this organ on, on chip it's not an implanted chip that we put in the heart no so this is a organ on chip is something people use for research so the way we do research on pharmaceuticals nowadays is either we put in a petri dish or we taste test it on animals and then it goes to human trials this is literally a chip that recreates how a the lung functions. works, or yeah, multiple cells. How your lung, how it's called organ on chip because it's literally organ on the chip. 
So there's a, a chip that functions the exact same way. In this case, we'll do lung because it's probably a little bit easier to explain your lungs. So they have a they have a chip and it literally has human lung cells on it. And they form an environment for it to function as like the cells are supposed to. So their oxygen is, is given to these cells. They're, they're, they're stretched. Same with when you breathe in, you breathe out, your lungs stretch, right? They make these, these cells stretch. They provide nutrients via blood. Because when you put lung cells on a Petri dish, they're not in a happy environment. They don't want to be there because they're not functioning like they're supposed to, right? Because when they're laying on a Petri dish, they're just there. They're not stretching. They're not getting proper nutrients because they're not functioning the way they're supposed to. Yes. But in this chip, they legit are. These lung, lung cells are expanding, deflating, expanding, deflating, getting blood fed to them. There's a capillary membrane as well. It's a very, very complex chip. And they use this chip not for implantation. They use this chip for research. So if they could push in like different antibiotics from one end and then introduce a bacteria from the other. And they could legit see how this bacteria and how this antibiotic is going to work if they put it in your body because they're yes. literally recreating the lungs, all their spaces and everything. They could feed it white blood cells. They could feed it whatever they want. So in this case, the vesicles were used. So they literally put these vesicles in this chip. They, they uh, programmed the chip to have some kind of a cellular damage and they saw what these vesicles do as they would do in in the actual situation if it was actually in your heart. Yeah. That's the beauty of this. Is this is these chips are actually functioning as your heart and they're actually being damaged the same way your heart would be damaged. This isn't, isn't an, an animal's heart. It's not a petri dish. This is actually the home environment of these cells. That's what that's why this is like a giant breakthrough for for pharmaceuticals for for, for testing. And I'm sure they're probably doing something like this with the vaccines right now too. Oh hell yeah! And, and like, you could have hundreds of thousands of of, the, of these chips, and they literally legit function the exact same way as your lungs or your heart would, and they're in the exact same environment. Yeah, because these push these cells are literally getting pushed pushed down a contract. They're literally doing everything that they would be doing in your body. Yeah, and that's what's amazing about it. They're, they're able to test that because in this situation, you know, we always think that the cells are the smallest and we go into vesicles. So not, you know, we're not understanding how these vesicles act. What's the mechanic? What's the mechanism? Damn, see, when we podcast long, I'm starting to lose my speech. It's interesting, like focus. But anyways, there's a mechanism of action, correct? Somehow these vesicles are delivering nutrients. We don't know how. So yeah, just like PD said, we're testing it in this little robot form. And like the question is, is like, what is the future of these ex, exosomal cell therapies? Like, it's if not I, even ro- robot form; it's your actual, it's actual cells cell. yeah. in in this freaking chip. So mm-hmm. eventually, like, imagine if we have little nano robots that, you know, they test the mechanism of action. They know what's going to happen. Like, imagine in the future, like, you have a heart attack and they inject you with like ten thousand nano cells to a, go directly to the heart and reperfuse, re, you know, help. Ma- maintain those heart cells like that's going to be mind-blowing right now it's outside of the body who knows man a couple of years down the line it's just going to be like the way therapies are done yeah and like what's cool is that's gonna be something for like acute therapy because for acute therapy we need something now right away not really chronic cancer is is, is, is more chronic but with these acute therapies is we could kind of be more experimental with these which is which is good good and bad because if it's acute that means we need a fix right now like you said Brain time. time. Time is brain. We need something that's going to fix it now. We need the best measures. So if the current measures we have aren't working the best, 
and we're starting to see that other measures can possibly be of value or benefit, we're more inclined to do them in acute care. Yes. Compared to, like, let's say someone has, that has a chronic issue like rheumatoid arthritis or, or, or cancer where they they're still have a longer quality of life because, you know, certain cancers, you, you can still be alive for years, years at a time compared to if you, have, if you have a stroke, you might not make it through the night. You know, so we're more inclined to push kind of experimental things on, on acute. And then once we figure out how to do it acutely, well, guess what? Now we could transition that to, to chronically. So the first step of these nanobots is going to be how do we repair a damaged heart? How do we reperfuse a brain that is missing oxygen? And then it's going to be how do we program these nanochips to target this cancer? Yes, and, and that's going to be amazing because like chemo right now, right? It, it's destroying everything, good and bad and... People are losing hair because those cells are similar to cancer cells. And hopefully in the future, yeah, just like you say, we'll just target the cancer itself. You pee out these nanobots, you're good to go. It's yeah. literally from like a movie that we've seen before. Like um, there's a good movie with, not Mark, with Matt Damon. I think it's called, so it's the letter E. I can't get it. But it's so good, man. And it's this like future that like does these kind of like therapies like you just go into a pod scan your body does like some shit with uv radiation and your cancer is cured yeah if you guys don't know like with with, with cancer chemo is widespread so it's ejected into your body so it's going to go everywhere in your body and yeah. we don't have a lot of cancer specific chemos a lot of our chemo that we have i'm not a cancer nurse or anything like that but i, I do know a little bit i did some research like a while back about it most of our chemo is think of it as like a like the, like an antibiotic, like like a vancomycin, which broad spectrum. A lot of our chemo is, is broad spectrum, and the way chemo works is it attacks quick reproducing cells. So what are you going to see get destroyed first? The cells that reproduce the quickest. So it's always going to be hair, your skin, yeah, things like that, because your skin is constantly getting reproduced. Your hairs are constantly getting getting reproduced. So that's why a lot of people with chemo, you know, they go bald. Dry skin, damaged skin, they start to get uh, more prone to injuries, things like that, because those are your fast reproducing cells. That makes Fun sense. Fact. That's that's what I wanted to know, and you, you know, you um, you educated me right now. Hit the nail on the head. There we go. Let's wrap this one up, man. Ladies and gentlemen, we had a phenomenal episode here. We talked about positivity and an improvement of preventing decline and preserving memory. We talked about caffeine its effects that we didn't know about. And we talked about this human on chip that's mm. able to... Organ on chip. Oh, damn it again. Organ on chip that's able to literally reproduce human cells and we're using it right now for different drug therapies, including what we talked about, the preser the preservation of a heart cell post-cardiac infarction. Yep. Thank you for tuning in. Check out... If you're a nursing student, check out our NCLEX study guide. It's an amazing study guide. The couple of nurses shop is officially open. There's a few products on there. Snag a couple, snag them all for the holidays. We're going to get more. We're slowly building on it. We just got to get some, some some more stuff on there. We just got to decide on what we want on there. But what we have there is temporarily for now. Yeah, thank you for tuning in. See you next time. Peace.